This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This episode of the Yankees Magazine podcast is brought to you by the MLB app. Yankees baseball is always live with the MLB app. Follow the action with game tracking and video highlights, along with up-to-the-moment stats, standings, breaking news, and more. Download the MLB app today. It's your number one app for Yankees baseball. Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast, a very special episode because we are coming to you from Yankee Stadium for the first time since, God, February of 2020. I'm John Schwartz. I'm the deputy editor of Yankees Magazine. Joining me right now in his own office, we have our editor-in-chief, Al Sanasiri. It's great to be here, John. It's great to be with you. Great to be in your office. (laughs) And our executive editor, Nathan Makaborski. Hello, everybody. What's up, Nate? I can't even express how good it is to be seeing you guys in three dimensions, not on a Zoom screen, not waiting for some sort of internet interference to uh, ruin this perfect product that we have. Or a dog barking. Or a dog barking, or a child knocking on the door, or a child having a piano lesson. All these things that just (laughs) are not going to impact us anymore. Let's hope. Um, Definitely, you know, not going to miss those days too much. Uh, It's super exciting to be back here at Yankee Stadium and uh, here recording with you guys today. So we're going to get into a little bit of uh, what's new in our world, but first, just to give you a sense of what's coming today, we are going to discuss the Yankees bullpen, a feature that we have in our June issue, a look at what really may be one of the best bullpens in Yankees history. And then uh, in our second segment, we're going to talk a little bit about Father's Day, and in particular, a weird thing that we noticed, which is that there are quite a few former Yankees players whose sons are actually doing exceptionally well right now in the major leagues. So we're going to talk about that very cool story. But guys. I know that this might not be the top on everyone's mind, but, you know, we've kind of been moving through the reopening, if you will, the re-entry into the world. And last Tuesday, the day after Memorial Day, if you want to say the unofficial beginning of summer, we uh, found ourselves back in the office together for the first time since this whole thing started. And it's been great. It really, I, 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 I know that this does not necessarily resonate for those listening at home, how much joy there is on all of our faces right now to be in one confined small space doing this together. I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, You know, I told you guys last week, it just, you kind of have this realization after working with colleagues who you consider friends and who you enjoy being around and getting to collaborate with them in person. You, John, you, Nathan, Ari, Barry, our two uh, photographers, and, and other people from other departments who, you know, you, you haven't seen in a long time. I, sometimes I find myself having long conversations and Maybe the the first week wasn't as productive as it could have been, but it's just great to be back doing what we uh, love to do and doing it with with people in person and not over phone calls and and all that. And and I think it's uh, for me it was a realization of how important it is to work with people as opposed to work with people from afar. 
one of the most special things about working for the Yankees and working at Yankee Stadium is just the energy that comes when we have a home game. And even when it's, you know, a seven o'clock game and, you, you know, maybe we're only working that day till 530, you still kind of feel that energy as you're walking out. But really what hit home for me was uh, we had a day game recently and I, it was around lunchtime. I just needed to, you know, head outside and grab a bite to eat. And so I walked down to the concourse and as I'm walking toward the exit, there's a baseball game going on and there's thousands of fans in the stands and there's Garrett Cole pitching. And I was like, wow, I, you know, I've watched probably every inning that he's pitched in a Yankees uniform, but this is the first time I'm seeing him live with my eyes <laughs> in person. And I was just like, how cool is that? You know, I'm back at work, I'm back in the office and I'm seeing, you know, Garrett Cole on the mound. It was just one of those moments where it's like, oh, this feels great. It's so good to be back. And I'm going to come with a, a slightly weirder point, perhaps that may be a little bit too much information, if you will. When you are in the area where our office is in Yankee Stadium. If you go into the men's room, for whatever reason, the wall in there is very thin, it seems, because it's the only part of our office area where you can really hear crowd noise. And I'll remember on that that day, same thing, Nate, I wasn't going out to lunch. I just went in to wash my hands at one point, and all of a sudden I'm hearing the roar of the crowd as I'm in there, and it's just like, oh, right, you know, because we take for granted, because, you know, we're so used to, in the in the old days, having games going on when we were in the office and kind of like, tuning them out, putting them on the TV, but not necessarily always realizing that the game is actually happening like 250 feet away from where we're sitting at the moment. But at that time, again, I'm in there washing my hands because I was about to eat lunch and I'm hearing this stuff. I'm like, oh, right. We're in a baseball stadium right now. So that's a lot of fun. I'm I'm also finding, though, some very weird things about reentering this world because not just in the time I worked for the Yankees, but certainly in, in, in my previous job, I worked in an office setting for a long time. But what I'm finding that's very strange right now is I'd gotten so used to living with not commuting and, and, and all those things that being in the office and working, it, it actually fell back into that routine much sooner than I expected. The weird things for me have been like remembering, how did I used to make dinner for my family when I would be getting home at like yeah. 7 p.m.? You know, mm -hmm. when did I go for runs? How, how did I do that? Because I know I used to go for runs, but like now there's just no time. And I think what needs to be said before we move on to this is that with everything that happened, with everything that went wrong, and we talked about this a lot in our last episode, we still put out every single magazine we were supposed to. We didn't miss our deadlines. We didn't make mistakes. We didn't have like a worse product by virtue of our not being here. But there's some very funny things about being here. I will hold up my work that I did from home against the work that I do in the stadium and, and say that I don't think that my bosses or anyone would see any difference. One thing I will say is that when I am in the office... I never use like my lunch hour to take a nap. <laughs> and I found myself doing that quite a bit when I was at home, just laying because my desk was four steps from my bed. Sometimes I would say like, you know what? I'm just going to sit down for 20 minutes and set an alarm to wake me up in 20 minutes. And I've not yet done that since I'm back here and I'm really trying my hardest. And another thing is just, I found when I got back here, I was used to having access to my pantry at home and everything I wanted and like little stupid like sugar rushes in the middle of the day and those first like two days back I found myself at like 2 p.m. being like where are the Sour Patch Kids <laughs> and that so you know some things have been easier than others I can identify with with some of those things I tried to stay really healthy you know during the pandemic and, and physically and, and mentally which which sometimes was a challenge one thing I I, I guess I regressed in is my intake of coffee and the reason why is for year after year after year after year, I stop at Dunkin' Donuts every day, get a cup of coffee, one extra large coffee, which is still probably too much. 
bring it to work. And as you guys have seen, you know, kind of drink it during the, the course of the morning till it's all gone. When the pandemic started, you know, obviously I didn't really feel like safe enough to go to Dunkin' Donuts or go anywhere. So for the first time in my life, I start making coffee at home. And, you know, what I realized was it was nice, but there was, you know, an opportunity that, that was very easy to drink more than I was before. So, I, you know, not necessarily a whole pot I was drinking, but a little bit too much. So when I came back to work, what I realized is to get the same type of caffeine rush, I need to get two cups of coffee from Dunkin' Donuts. So I drink one on the way here and one when I'm here. Probably not a great habit, but I saved a lot of money during the pandemic from not going to Dunkin' Donuts. So I guess it's okay. You know, the thing that uh, I've noticed is, you know, I, I started here in 2007 and uh, I think I was living in, had moved out of the city by that time. I don't know, maybe I was still in the city, but for most of my time here at the Yankees, I've been commuting from New Jersey. So, you know, driving every day, crossing the bridge, and it was just part of my daily routine. I really got to the point. I mean, I didn't really think twice about it. It's just something you did. You deal with the traffic on the way in, you deal with the traffic on the way home. And it's, you know, like I said, I didn't think twice about it. After not having to do it for 14 and a half months, these first few days back, it's like, my God, this takes forever. How did I do this every day for so long? <laughs> it's also, and I think this is something that I missed a little bit. It's super expensive to cross that oh bridge. Oh my God. And like when you're not doing that every day, that is money in your pocket. Yeah. And gas was not $3 a gallon back in 2020. And it sure is now. Yeah. It's crazy expensive, but <laughs> we'll get used to it. We'll settle back into our routines once again, no doubt. Well, it's been wonderful uh, sharing with you all uh, the routines of the publications department. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next episode. <laughs> no, but, uh, um, you know, I think we should move on. Obviously, while we have been gone, baseball has been going on. We've, as I've said, done a, a very good job of still covering the team. The June magazine that's now on sale at Yankee Stadium is, God willing, the last issue of Yankees magazine that's going to be produced from our respective houses. But at the same time, I think anyone who is coming to the stadium this month and seeing it Again, the goal is you don't notice it. And one of the more interesting parts of the June issue is that we actually accidentally had two cover stories because the story that we are about to discuss, which is about the bullpen, had been slated for the cover from mid-April when we made our edit lineup for the June issue. And then, of course, uh, as we were about to go to press, Corey Kluber throws a no-hitter, which was great and well worth being on the cover of the June issue. But we had a scramble. So, you know, again, the story we are about to discuss now, we prepared we created we conceived as the cover story and whether or not it ended up on the cover i think uh it was a very fun project for me to get to do to look at what has been one of the best bullpens in yankees history i think what was great about your story we've talked about um and written about how great this bullpen is this year and and, and has been in recent years but what you did was truly a the deepest of dives let's say into just analyzing what it means to say that they're great and to say that they are a true stopgap uh, from the whatever inning on, the fifth inning, the sixth inning, the seventh inning on, and just how much that means to a team. You know, there's been, this team has struggled at times in terms of hitting and like any team, you know, sometimes the starting pitcher doesn't have it that day and doesn't do well. But what I think is, is so amazing about this bullpen is it really does give you a chance to win every single game. It gives the offense a chance to, to, to score runs, to chip away. Whether they do it or not is, I guess, yet to be seen. But a great look that you provided, John, on just how, how important the bullpen is and, and how important it is that each of these guys are, are as good as they are. John, I have a question for you. So, I mean, you've written plenty of 
stories in your career, plenty of cover stories. In fact, you have two cover stories in this very same issue. <laughs> you know, sometimes uh, the subject is is kind of simple. It's just one guy or or it's one theme. You know, it's Corey Kluber throws a no hitter. It, it, it's pretty, you know, simple what the, you know, angle is there. When you go in to write a story about a bullpen and there's so many different ways you can go, is it easier? Is it more challenging when, you know, your, your focus is a little more wide ranging than say, you know, a feature on Giancarlo Stanton or something like that? I chose to do it, so I'm not going to cry for help here. I think it's almost easier, though, when you have a big topic to make it bigger, in a sense, because, for example, nothing in baseball, and part of what makes the Yankees bullpen so interesting is that nothing in baseball, or really maybe even in sports, is more volatile than a bullpen. So it could be fun, sure, to do a story on Jonathan Loizaga or Chad Green or even Aroldis Chapman or whatever, go down the list. The problem is... With bullpens, especially if one of them has a bad week, everything is thrown apart because a bad week for a reliever could be two losses and a loss of confidence and a loss of role sometimes. And so, yeah, I think I thought that by making it more widely focused, I was able to avoid some of the dangers, if you will, because the fact is, and, and look, we can get to we can get into discussing this. The story, I believe when I wrote it, it, most of the dates I put in there as my end posts for using stats was like May 9th. This is going live on June 10th. So that's a month later. And I can tell you the stats are different. And I'm, I'm not trying to knock the Yankees bullpen right now. But the assertions that I made in the story in May when I was writing it are very true still. It is one of the best bullpens in Yankees history. Is it still statistically the best bullpen in Yankees history? It's not. The, the thing you see, though, is some of the crazier stats that we were looking at back then they're not there anymore. But I think because the story had a, a wide view on it, it doesn't hurt it necessarily. I struggled with, you know, what, what's an angle? Because the angle can't just be the bullpen and the angle can't just be the bullpen is good. So two things hit me. First off, I was trying to very, very early on say, what statistical comps can I look at to say just how good this bullpen is? What are things that I personally don't understand, but that I can ask around and learn about how successful it is? And the other thing I really wanted to do was talk to Mike Harkey, the bullpen coach, and Matt Blake, the pitching coach, about what makes a bullpen good and what makes this bullpen good and how a bullpen is deployed and how, you know, you use all the weapons that you get in the bullpen that Cashman and his team have built to get from whenever the starter leaves, whether it's the fourth, fifth, sixth, or seventh inning, you know, to that point where you're shaking hands at the end. I have a question for you as well. You know, we know what Araldis Chapman is and how great he is. You know, we've seen Chad Green for a little bit here. Obviously, Zach Britton has not been on the field, but will be back hopefully soon. Who from this group both surprised and has impressed you the most? Well, I think the, the easy answer there is Jonathan Loisaga. And, and what makes him so interesting is if you go back to 2019, when he was still kind of thinking of himself as a starter, if you looked at his usage then, he was throwing his four-seamer about 50% of the time and you know mixing in a sinker about 5 to 6% of the time. And if you look at him in 2021, that's exactly flipped. He's totally become a pitcher relying on his two-seamer as opposed to his four-seamer. That's partly, as he says, it's partly adjusting to this role in the bullpen. You know, I, I don't think he views himself as a starter anymore, which is a big part of why you're able to tinker on that one-inning basis. And he has much more confidence now, so he's able to do the things that the team's looking for. And as a result, if you just think of the difference between a pretty good four-seamer, which is going to kind of hold his position in the strike zone versus a even pretty good, but I would say very good in his case, two-seamer, which is going to dive a little bit. You know, as a result, he has, as of today, 
a 2.3% barrel percentage, which means that guys are just not making good contact on him. He has an 85.1 exit velocity, average exit velocity. So guys are topping his ball. That's what you're, you're looking for. Is he still going to make mistakes sometimes? Is he still going to give up a, a random homer? Yeah, but you know his profile has changed so completely that he's just so effective there, and it looks like a success that can be sustained. And I would say on the flip side of that, Lucas Litke. I think when the season started and he was coming out of spring training, breaking with the team after six years out of the majors, or I think it was, it might have been seven. I think everyone kind of thought it was a novelty. You know, the Yankees need a lefty because Britain's hurt, whatever. And he's become a high leverage reliever who has the same 85.1 exit velocity against as Loisaga. So you could see how effective he is. You could see how impactful he is. But what I loved in the story, what I loved getting to try to explain in the story is it's easy to talk about results when you, especially with bullpens, because if a team is good, its bullpen th- should be throwing a lot of high leverage innings, meaning you know there should be a lot of games in the balance when the bullpen is in there. And so it's, it's very easy to get caught up in the result. And if a guy blows a save or if a guy gives up a home run, as opposed to what his arsenal is. What I liked about this story, especially because at the time I was doing it, this bullpen was so far above the norm, was getting to try to explain it's not just about the fact that these guys are having success. It's that if you looked at Every single guy in the Yankees bullpen, they were all doing it differently. I just talked about Jonathan Loisaga moving to his two-seamer. Well, Chad Green is successful because he throws his four-seam fastball up in the zone, which Jonathan Loisaga couldn't do. He was not successful when he was doing that. And Chad Green mixes it with a curveball that he throws about 35% of the time. You have, you know, Wandy Peralta come from the left side at kind of a funky little arm angle a little bit. You have Luis Sessa, who's totally over the top. You have a Darren O'Day who's not with the team right now because he's hurt, but he's the exact opposite. So what it becomes is not just what we used to think of as relievers, which is, this guy's getting tired, give us a fresh arm. And now it's like, how can we totally mess with the hitter with who we're bringing in right now? And that's what this stuff is about now. And that was what I found really fascinating. I agree. That was was my biggest takeaway from this story. I mean, I loved all the... uh... Uh, you know, you provided a lot of statistical information that really put things into context. But between the quotes you got from O'Day, which I thought were really interesting, um, as well as the two coaches, you know, they kind of really gave me a better understanding of what they're trying to accomplish in terms of just never giving batters the same look. You know, it's just a, a parade of you know, varying arm angles and varying repertoires. And you see why it's so difficult for, for batters to have, find any success against the Yankees bullpen. And I really liked the, the photos that you guys chose to, to demonstrate this. You know, on one of the pages, we have the three photos across of the three different guys, and you just see how different they look, even just to the naked eye. So that was my biggest takeaway. Did you intentionally uh, go in wanting to make that point, or was that something you kind of discovered through your r- reporting? Well, that's been something that's kind of been a hobby horse of mine. And I would also say an Aaron Boone's for a while. Um, As you listen to, whether on Twitter or talk radio, as you listen to baseball fans sometimes complain, everyone's too focused on home runs. No one, you know, advances the runner anymore. That's why, you know, this team might not be as successful as we demand it should be or whatever. Part of the thing that's changed, I mean, look, there's a lot of things that have changed pitching is obviously incredibly good right now but the one of the key things is you can't string together seven hits against a pitcher anymore to get four runs that way you know the reason the teams are reliant on things like launch angle and things like hit putting the ball over the fence and, and maybe at the expense of stolen bases and hit and runs and moving it runners is because the guys that are in the bullpen right now are so good 
that you're you're not going to get five hits in a row. You're not going to do that. So what you need to do is figure out a way to be patient, get on base a lot of times by walking, and then get you know the guy behind you to knock you in. And I think a big part of that is because if you look at this Yankees bullpen right now, you are you have more people in there who are you know former starters than you have guys who came up as relievers. I mean, even I, a lot of people don't remember this. I mean, even Aroldis Chapman you know, was was being groomed as a starter when he was coming up with Cincinnati, but he was just too good in the bullpen. And I think for a while, you know, even if you go back to 2005, 2010, years like that, you know, back uh, when you're looking at Phil Hughes, Jabba Chamberlain, Ian Kennedy, all these things, you know, there was this idea of, are these guys starters? Are these guys relievers? What are we going to do? And I think that there was always this sense like, well, he didn't crack it as a starter, so we're going to put him in the bullpen. Whereas now, I think there's this sense that like, not only is there no shame in being in the bullpen, not only does it not mean that it's a failure of any kind to be in a bullpen, but you know we can leverage the way that these guys can just go at you like crazy for one inning and have six guys behind them who can also do that instead of looking to who, who are the failed starters that we can bring in right now because they're just not good enough. So I, I think that even though a lot of these guys were starters, they're not in the bullpen because they couldn't cut it as starters in most cases. I mean, look, Jonathan Lewis is a good couldn't cut as a starter and he's in the bullpen but what happens is they don't just become lesser pitchers that you're bringing in they become more impactful pitchers and it becomes truly to get back to the point i was making the beginning it becomes truly impossible to string together hits against these guys especially because even if you do get four hits against a reliever let's say and yet a run in or two runs in there's another guy that they're going to bring in who's going to start throwing gas from a totally different arm angle and it just can't happen it's a great point i i i'll add this to it relief pitchers so i'm 42 years old when i was growing up and when you guys were growing up relief pitcher was never a job that you talked about wanting to have it wasn't like a dream job let's say and now it's become that because again to your point a relief pitcher you know meant uh if you were a relief pitcher it meant like you said you couldn't cut it as a starter and i remember even talking to goose gossage about this a hall of fame relief relief pitcher who was like yeah, we were all failed starters. You know, we were guys that, you know, in the 70s that just couldn't cut it as a as a starting pitcher. I think the success has literally changed the entire dynamic of what it means to be a relief pitcher, to be a closer. I think Mariano Rivera, Dennis Eckersley, guys like that is kind of where that, you know, where that started. And of course, Eckersley won a lot of games as a, as a starter and then became a, you know, a great relief pitcher. Mariano Rivera was a failed starter, but it's become you know, it's become a thing that, you know, the people want to be, they want to be a closer. They want to be, you know, I, I, I see kids on my son's teams, you know, now that, you know, are like, man, I want to be the closer. I want to be the setup guy like that. Those things were never talked about before. And I think this bullpen is certainly furthering that notion or, or that idea. And let's just call it that industry of, of relief pitching. But I think you have to take it a step further too, because I mean, a guy like Zach Britton, who isn't a big part of the story because he hasn't pitched yet this year, but Zach Britton, who, and I wrote about this a couple of years ago, Zach Britton holds the record for the best basically season by reliever in American League history uh, as a closer. Although Chapman might have something to say about that by the end of this by year. By the end of this year, sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. But Zach Britton, when he came over in that trade, it was because he was injured. The Yankees got him for kind of pennies on the dollar. And you just kind of figured it was going to be a couple month thing. And then he was going to go off and get closer drop somewhere else. And I, I know that he could, but not only, not only did he choose to sign with the Yankees, but he got $39 million to do it as a non-closer. Mm-hmm. 
And I think that that's evidence of a sea change in the game, that they, it is not just about having great starters and having a ninth inning guy and figuring out the rest. There is so much that's involved uh, in, in the daily game planning and the analytics and everything like that of not just figuring out, you know, who you're going to have start that day and, you know, what your everything's going to be, but trying to trying to piece together before the game how this is going to play out, who's going to need to be there, who's fresh, who's not, who needs a day, mm-hmm. and how you are going to navigate that fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth inning. Because, yeah, it's easy to say, okay, we're going to bring in Aroldis Chapman in the ninth. And I will say I've had several conversations with Mike Harkey where no matter what new baseball analytics might want to tell you, you know, he, he says and he is firm on it and he knows more about this than I do. So I'll say, you know, whatever he says that there is definitely a difference in the ninth inning and you need a closer in the ninth inning, no matter what anyone says. There are other teams that disagree. But to get to that ninth inning, even if you're just going to slot Chapman in there to get there, it's not just, okay, well, this guy's a righty, so we need a righty or this guy's tired, so we need someone fresh. It's literally like, how are we, what chess moves are we going to start thinking about in the fourth and fifth innings to get to the point where we can craft this game in the best way possible? Well, it's all really fascinating. And I think, uh, you know, after reading your story, you know, I, I had a little bit more insight into into those chess moves. And it was kind of more fun to, you know, watch the game afterwards and, and see what they were doing out there. And, you know, like I said, Chapman's just he's putting together a very, very impressive season here and coming up on 300 career saves. Um, you should probably get there in the next month or two, I would think. And um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, once we get Britain and, and O'Day back in the fold too, just what these guys can do uh, down the stretch. Great job on the story. Thank you. I Wonderful. hope everyone uh, enjoys it, reads it. It's called Sweet Relief. It is in the June issue. It was for a time the cover story. We had a lovely cover that was <laughs> created, did. which is now known only to the you know five of us who were involved in it. But uh, you know, it would have been a really nice thing for Lucas Litke and Wandy Peralta and Chad Green, all those guys, to be on a cover of Yankees magazine. But then. Corey Kluber had to go and throw a no-hitter. <laughs> I, think, I think they get it. I think, yeah, I'm sure they do. <laughs> Anyhow, stick with us. That was fun. Uh, we were going to take a quick break, and we were going to come back a little bit and discuss Father's Day, which is always a fun thing for the three dads in this room to chat about. So stick with us. Hi, this is Aaron Boone. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. This episode is also brought to you by MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand with MLB.tv. Your subscription also includes the MLB app Premium, allowing you to stream live baseball with your favorite supported devices. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details. And welcome back to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Again, we are uh, coming live with this on June 10th, which is about a week and a half before Father's Day. And the three guys we have in here right now, we are three fathers with six kids between us. So I think that it's a fun time, if you would, for us to talk about a really, really special story, kind of interesting backstory, interesting way it came together, and kind of a rare story for Yankees Magazine, because it's really only tangentially about the Yankees, especially as it applies to 2021. But we have a great piece in here called The Suns Also Rise, which looks at some well-known former Yankees whose sons are thriving in the big leagues right now. Al, you were instrumental in getting this story put together with our freelance writer, Rich Tomaselli. How did it come to be? And do you feel the same way I do, which is that this this story is just a delight? I do. Rich um, is somebody that's new to the magazine. It's the first time he, he contributed to Yankees magazine and, and certainly somebody I hope we, we can continue to use. He was a delight to work with, first of all, and you know, just a seasoned writer and somebody who I wanted to pitch 
you know, different, you know, type of story too. not, not necessarily a, a player profile on a, on a current player here, because it kind of presented an opportunity to do something unique and do something different. And he had some time on his hands to reach out to, you know, a bunch of um, former players whose sons are currently in the big leagues. And, you know, he really brought a unique angle to each of these four kind of individual stories within this feature. You know, I just loved it. it you know, as a father and, and particularly a, a father of a boy who plays baseball, not, not certainly not at this level, but, you know, just kind of seeing it at the grassroots level now, um, it was really fun to not just read about what their kids are doing now in the big leagues, but kind of how they got to the big leagues and, and seeing how as, you know, little kids, their, their stories are kind of the same as, you know, as, as anybody, you know, story whose, whose son plays baseball as a kid. Uh, it was fun. And, you know, there's some, some kind of sentimental moments for me in, in editing this story. And, uh, one, um, I don't know if this is sentimental or just uh, a moment where I realized how old I am, but, you know, Paul Quantrill pitched here in 2004, which was my second year with the Yankees. He was a really, really great relief pitcher for us then. And, you know, his son is in the, in the big leagues. A couple years ago, I think it was 2009, I did a story with Charlie Hayes, our former third baseman from the, the 90s. And went out to Tomball, Texas to spend uh, a day with him and had dinner at his house and spent some time with, with his family. And at that time, Charlie had a uh, kind of like a baseball academy for, for young baseball players. And uh, his very, very young son, I can't remember exactly how old he was at the time, but he was a little kid, basically, was, was with us kind of the whole day. And we went to the batting cages at one time and, and Charlie pitched to his son and you know this kid was little but amazingly talented and that kid of course is key brian hayes who's now uh part of this story but more significantly a big part of uh the pittsburgh pirates offense so it's kind of remarkable how how time has flown by and what has happened during uh the years since i was out there in tomball texas he's a star major league player it's 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 absolutely remarkable to me you know, Ali, you mentioned how it kind of makes you feel old in some ways seeing, you know, these kids whenever you turn on almost any Major League Baseball game, you know, whether it's Vladimir Guerrero Jr. or Fernando Tatis out in, in San Diego, you know, I feel like, geez, it doesn't feel like that long ago when I was watching these guys' dads play in the Major Leagues. But, you know, on the other hand, that's that's part of one of the, you know, really cool things about baseball and how it just ties the generations together. I look at the current Yankees roster and I'm like, hmm, I wonder... Wonder if we'll ever see like a DJ LeMahieu Jr. in the in the major leagues or Aaron Judge Jr. You know, when we've moved on from being fathers and we've become grandfathers, we'll start seeing uh, those types of players. Well, I mean, look, just in the last uh, week and a half or so, DJ LeMahieu and Luke Boyd both uh, had new babies. All right. So. I heard Chad Green's got one on the way. There I think go. so. But that's one of the really special things about baseball, I feel. And um, it, it was just really cool to hear these ex-Yankees, you know, Paul Quantrill and David Weathers talking about their sons and just expressing how proud they are seeing them doing what they're doing on the big stage and offering, you know, little bits of insight too that I, I thought was really interesting. You know, I think it was um, David Weathers who said his son, Ryan, never threw a curveball until he was like 16 years old. You know, he always stressed 
fastball command and a changeup. Like those are the two pitches you need as a young pitcher. And look where he is now. I mean, he's a big part of that team out there in San Diego. So it was cool hearing the the emotions from the fathers who used to play here in the Bronx, um, and and also some of the insight into what helped get their kids uh, into the bigs now. And one thing I found interesting is all, all the way down the line, essentially, each of the four guys that we talked to in the story, which I should be clear is Charlie Hayes with Key Brian Hayes, Clay Bellinger with Cody Bellinger, Paul Quantrill with Cal Quantrill, and David Weathers with Ryan Weathers. A lot of what we saw, and I think also it was David Weathers who really spoke this the most profoundly, this isn't necessarily about these big league dads saying like, well, here's baseball, you're going to become a great baseball player. In a lot of cases, what it was was just osmosis. The fact is, David Weathers had Ryan around a lot in, in, in big league clubhouses. And so did he force Ryan to become a big league player? No. Did he pressure him to? I think he would say no. Maybe Ryan would say differently, but I, I doubt it. But the thing is, Ryan grew up around this. Ryan grew up understanding the life of a big league ball player and, and being around big league ball players. And it's not like these guys are sitting there teaching him like where to put his hands on the bat. But you know they're, they're just teaching him the life and things like that. And, and, and of course, it has an impact. And look, obviously, I'm not raising a kid to become a major league baseball player, but but even I can see baseball is a big part of my life. I watch a lot of baseball, and I can see the way that that you know trickles down to my son. And coaching his little league team this year, one thing that has really struck me, and it's not in a great way, is a lot of these kids have almost no baseball instincts. I'm not even talking about talent. I'm talking about instincts. These kids who are eight and nine years old, who even now at the end of our season, sometimes come up to bat and face the wrong direction or stand in the left batter's box. And we have to say to them, you're a righty. A lot of that is just because they don't have baseball as part of their lives. And you could see if you go in the exact opposite direction of that, if it's so much a part of your life that you're spending a lot of your time in big league clubhouses, how much of an education that must be. You know, I think a, a really underrated quality of a parent, and, and not to be too preachy here about, you know, what makes a good parent, what makes a bad parent, but I, I think it's kind of obvious when you look at people's happiness in life, and, and whether it's their childhood or, or, or beyond, is letting your kids do what they want to do. If they want to play baseball, then they should play baseball. Whether you played it or work in it or, you know, work in the sport or whatever you do, they don't want to play baseball, then that's okay too. You know, unfortunately, you know, through time you see too many kids who are, who are doing things for the wrong reasons, meaning that it's because their parents are convinced that they should, for some crazy reason, play football, baseball, basketball, whatever it may be, and they don't really like it, but they might be good at it, but they don't really like it. I think what was really, I don't know if it's heartwarming or, or just kind of nice to see with all four of these parents was they're all great baseball players. They all were, you know, major league players. Yeah, of course, their kids are going to be immersed in it simply because it's their job and they're traveling at times with their with their parents during the summer. Their mom's going to lots of games. They're they're around baseball or whatever. But none of these guys pushed their kids towards it. The kids gravitated towards it. I think that's a, a really special thing. You know, it's it's one thing to introduce your son or your daughter to something that you do. And then it's up to them to like it or not like it. And it's up to them to like it enough that they want to do it tremendously. And, 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 and when I say tremendously, I mean all of the time and they're really into it or they just want to dabble in it and maybe not take it that far. Maybe just play in Little League and be done or, or you know, play recreationally or whatever. And 
you know, I've seen as a parent, that's a really, really important thing. I mean, my son plays on a travel team and has for a couple of years. He kind of pushed us into it and to an extent. We weren't even sure at that point whether it was the right time. And he kind of has become incredibly committed to it as, as we kind of almost just watched without ever, you know, pushing. And, and that's been fun. You know, he saw it, he liked it, and he did it. And I, and I see, you know, kind of similar qualities in, in these four dads that, you know, they put it out there, but boy, did their kids run with it. And, and I saw that with Keith Brian all those years ago. You know, Charlie wasn't pushing him like, we got a hit today, we got a hit today, we got a hit today. I think young Keith Brian interrupted the interview a bunch of times to ask when, when he was going to the batting cages. And Charlie kept saying, five o'clock. And, you know, Keith Brian, three o'clock. Is it five o'clock yet? No, it's three o'clock. And then five minutes later, is it five o'clock yet? No, it's 3.05, you know, so, uh, you know, that's to me is a, is a really nice part of the story. Yeah. I mean, whether kids grow up to be major league baseball players or, or, or editors of a baseball magazine or, I mean, this sport just has so much to offer and it, it's just such a big part of our culture here. It's just a wonderful thing. And I, I liked how the author, Rich, also weaved in some of the more uh, poignant quotes from like baseball movies and stuff and and to introduce some of the sections about the different players because really the the thread that kind of uh weaves through this whole narrative is just how baseball brings together fathers and sons and uh i thought it was just so well written and such a perfect fit for for our june issue with with father's day right around the corner here and i think we would also be remiss if we didn't mention obviously you know we're, we're not going to have former mothers whose sons are now major leaguers. Um, we have not yet had any women play for the Yankees, obviously. It gets sometimes a little bit easy to do these stories around Father's Day and talk about Father's impact on a lot of these players. And I think that if you spoke to a lot of guys in big league clubhouses, so many of them, for one reason or another, would talk about, obviously, the impact their mothers had on them. And we shouldn't dismiss that. And, and that comes from education stuff, certainly, when you talk to an Aaron Judge. But also, if you talk to a, a CeCe Sabathia, and he talks about his mother's impact, it wasn't just by being you know, a, a good archetypal if you will a feminine role model it was her getting down there and, and catching when he would pitch so this is probably obvious this story is about fathers but you know we, we should not uh act like baseball as it's passed down the generations is only passed down from father to son no that's a great point i mean i i can say that from an intimate view from from home and the role that, that my wife has like you just said, in an in, in instrumental role in the tactics of the game and, and teaching it to my son, even though she didn't play the game, didn't even play softball, um, to looking at it from a, you know, kind of a more macro level and having done stories with somebody like Derek Jeter, whose mother, you know, was the first baseman when, you know, dad was hitting the ground balls, somebody, someone was catching it and, and it was her, or sometimes they flipped it and, you know, uh, it was the other way around. Um, and, and also just the you know, the, the support is equal in so many of these cases as it should be. And yeah, that's a great point, John, and I'm glad you brought it up. It certainly shouldn't go unnoticed. So the story is The Suns Also Rise. It is in the June issue, which is on sale at Yankee Stadium. To all the fathers out there, happy Father's Day. To uh, my wife, happy birthday, <laughs> and, which comes the day after Father's Day this year. But uh, guys, I, I know that we have spoken about this a lot at the beginning. I know that we were talking about this a lot in the lead up to it, but it was everything I hoped for. Being here in person, getting to do this, uh, it's, Nate, you're right, it's a longer drive maybe to get some of this stuff done, and it's more expensive sometimes, but it is really wonderful to be in a room chatting with no internet lag. So 
I enjoyed it as much as I hope to. Great to see your faces. Absolutely. And to everyone else, thank you for listening to another episode of the Yankees Magazine Podcast. We hope that if you are not already subscribed, that you will go to the podcast app of your choice or to yankees.com slash podcast and subscribe. Also, if you are not already subscribed to Yankees Magazine, there's no better time. It makes a wonderful Father's Day gift. It makes a wonderful birthday gift for my wife. It makes a wonderful gift for anybody. So go to yankees.com slash publications or call 800-GO-YANKS. If you want to check out some of our long-form stories, including both stories that we have mentioned today, the bullpen story, Sweet Relief, is already online at yankees.com slash magazine. And next week, we will have our Father's Day story, The Suns Also Rise, going up, so make sure you check that. But you can get all of our long-form content at yankees.com slash magazine. And of course, make sure you follow us on Twitter, at Yanks Magazine, where you can stay up to date with everything that we've done and everything that we have coming up. Thanks so much. See you next time, and go Yanks! Hey, this is Giancarlo Stan. If you like what you're hearing, why don't you rate and review us? And while you're at it, tell your friends to subscribe. Thanks so much, and go Yankees. The MLB Ballpark app will complete your next visit to Yankee Stadium. Buy and manage game tickets, redeem special check-in offers, access exclusive content, and much more. Download the MLB Ballpark app today. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.